Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 120, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always... I am joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow his work for the DraftNetwork.com, BleedingGreenNation.com. Follow him Hello. on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your NFL? Jalen Ramsey, baby! What? No, I was going to ask about your NFL Game Pass experience today and if you would like to leave a nice review for them. Yeah, a five-star rating and review. I wish I could have watched the All-22 for you guys but i couldn't because it's not there yeah i mean it's there some of it's there it pretends and to some be. of it is just a big black screen little play arrow yep. in a circle that Which you click and you don't get anything i mean some analysts would derive a lot from those clips right there some analysts those clips are all they need the, <laughs> the black screen unenlightened the uneducated <laughs> no uh yeah obviously game pass it's also early in the season for game pass which you know you say that as if <laughs> later in the season game pass is good and it's not tell me about uh jalen ramsey though tell me about your thoughts because apparently the jaguars are looking for what is it a, is it a 2020 first and then also a 2021 first based on reports they're saying that one nfc team has made a play and one afc team has made a play right so here's what we know Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated says that the Jacksonville Jaguars starting asking price, what, what they're opening up negotiations with is uh, two firsts, 2020, mm. 2021. Uh, Diana Rossini of ESPN says that there are two offers that she's heard are on the table. One is from an NFC team that includes a 2021 and a 2021 five which is interesting because the Eagles do not have a 2025. Hmm. Nice investigative work there, Ben. I like it. Go ahead. Thank you. Well, somebody tweeted that at me, so it might not be true. I don't know. But you you were receptive to it, yes, and now you're reporting it. Yes, I remembered it. it. <laughs> uh, AFC? AFC team, uh, 2020 first, and then like a player. Uh, we don't really know the value of that player, who exactly it is. People have surmised the AFC team is the Chiefs. They need a lot of help. Jeffrey, yeah, Jeff, so Jeffrey Chadiha of NFL.com says that a uh, chief source says that the um the chiefs are not interested in Jalen Ramsey um they say that the locker room is too good right I mean, now this is the team that moved on from Marcus Peters for very similar reasons so i could see why they would be oh, hesitant i mean ramsey's a bit 
nuts, but I would not <laughs> say Marcus Peters and Jalen Ramsey are relatively equivalent in terms of the off-field nonsense you have to deal with. I'm not saying they're the exact same, but I'm saying right. from an overall culture perspective, I mean, well, I mean, look at the Chiefs and what they've done from a PR perspective in the past couple of years. It ain't exactly great. Say. <laughs> yeah, so that, there's that number one. And then number two, it's not like Ramsey's out here committing crimes. It's Peters, you though? Know? I mean, Peters really didn't do anything like that in Kansas City. He was just vocal in, in about high, being... In college, he had that going could, on. True. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, and then and this is from my knowledge which may be incomplete Ramsey and Marone this is the first incident of, of, of Ramsey publicly coming out against his coaches Peters has done it multiple times since his time at Washington hmm. and you know honestly you can kind of sympathize with Ramsey who Doug Marone and the Jaguars are a complete joke well that Tom organization Coughlin, right exactly it's, it's all falling apart I'm not surprised if he's trying to get his way out of there yeah. and, and, and again what we have to remember and I still stand by this a not big but not small part of being a very good defensive back is being way too confident in your own abilities. <laughs> I honestly think that legitimately like, contributes to being a good defensive back. Yep. Because it's just it's a position where you have to be able to bounce back very, very quickly. And, you know, supreme self-confidence <laughs> leads to some pretty quick bounce backs. That's for and sure. Ramsey got toasted by Tyreek Hill in 2018 and was immediately talking mess to Tyreek Hill in 2019. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what I mean? So he gets okay. up for games. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, That's yeah. So, so it doesn't bother me too much. People have talked about, oh, the, the Eagles don't want to bring that sort of a voice into their locker room. I really don't think it would go poorly. Uh, the Eagles locker room, especially the defensive back room with uh, Malcolm Jenkins, yeah. Rasul Douglas, and Jalen Mills already has a ton of big voices and they've been fine and they all, you know, get along and then don't get along and, and you know, survive one big happy family that gets upset with itself sometimes. I don't think they're too worried about that. I don't think also another thing that I've seen for the Eagles and Ramsey is that he doesn't fit the scheme, which is kind of like a, a buzz phrase in general. Yeah. Ramsey, firstly, fits every scheme. Correct. There are schemes in which he's better, um, <laughs> but Ramsey is a sublime talent uh, who also, not unlike Minka, had some like, could he play safety? Could he play corner? Sort of a thing when he came out of Florida State simply because he was so talented. For example, Ramsey's more effective up at the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. If he were to come to Philadelphia, who, as we very well know, likes to play their corners off the line of scrimmage, you would expect the Eagles to play Ramsey up more at the line, but also Ramsey can survive off the line of scrimmage. People say that Ramsey, you know, has said like he wants to play man coverage. He doesn't want to play the zone coverage the Jaguars run. There's not a team in the league that will be like, yeah, Ramsey, you'll never play any zone coverage here. It won't happen. Hmm. He's going to have to play zone coverage wherever he goes. Z zone eventually turns into man anyway, and Ramsey's right. got the processing speed. Yeah. To and the Eagles, the Eagles play a fair bit of man coverage. It's not among the league's leaders by any means but they play a fair bit of man coverage you know what ramsey does really well cover three Co covers post routes i mean he stays on top of post routes which has been a huge bugaboo if you copy paste jalen ramsey in for eagles defensive back in coverage on long completion <laughs> right which like, is unfair because it's been different players right the eagles have given up half as many points this year right very exactly. simply they do not I, I said this in the the immediate recap of the atlanta falcons show or maybe it was the Redskins. i don't remember Jim Schwartz calls his defense like he has elite talent at corner, and he doesn't. Jay hmm. Ramsey's elite talent at corner. Exactly. He, Schwartz ain't going to have to change much. He's going to continue to leave his corners on islands if it is zone or if it is man. He's going to leave them isolated against outside receivers with very little schematic help. He's going to expect them to make plays. Ramsey's going to play zone wherever he ends up. You might as well end up on an NFC-leading Super Bowl contender with 
clear, great culture in the locker room and a coach who loves players and players love playing for the coach. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to have to play problem. some zone some, everywhere, yeah, right? I, and like you mentioned, I think that's best part of the thing with Ramsey, too. He's facing a team that's falling apart at the seams from right. the organization on down, and you just lost right. your quarterback for the season. He doesn't want to play for a loser. If I were Jalen Ramsey and I were on the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'd, I'd be out. like, the Jaguars are asking me to play corner, and I demand to play wide receiver. Anything <laughs> to get me out. And then I just change my tune of my new team. I don't care. All right, Antonio. And wait, but that's anything right. I can say to get, get me out of this building. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. So there you go. Do you think the Eagles should make a move? If the offer on the table is a one and a five, and that NFC offer, that's from Philly. Whatever the Jaguars come back to me with, I would expect it to be like one and a three, one and a four. Hmm. That's pricey. I'm probably there. I'm probably there too. I'm probably there. It's Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. And people say, like, oh, you know, you, you you have to pay him. Like, you know, Jalen Ramsey. Like, And then that's the big difference between him and Minka. I was asked like straight up and I was like, they both can fit. They both can help a lot. The thing about Minka is he's six million over the next three years. Well, Jalen Ramsey's seven and a half million this year, 14 million on the on the two year on the fifth year option next year. So you're already at $21.5 million, and then it's the next year of his contract. He could feasibly cost six, seven times what Minka does over mm-hmm. a three-year span. And I love that you're getting six, seven times the player. So it's a it's a greater cost, and you're going to trade more than Minka went for. Is Ramsey's delta in talent that big? I don't think so. But how, right now, I would say it's a seller's market for Jacksonville. Every day they don't sell, the, Meyer, the market moves towards the buyer because Ramsey's going to continue to wear the Jacksonville Jaguar logo, yep. stand in the Jacksonville Jaguar locker room, mm-hmm. and disparage the whole team. <laughs> so honestly, I'm kind of hoping nobody trades for him over there. I want to see him I want to see him go out. I want to see him lock down the entire Titans receiving core on Thursday night. I want to see him get two picks, four tackles, one for loss, and then stand in the locker room and make fun of his head, head coach. Oh, right. boy, do I want that. I do think the Eagles are in those conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think like a one and a five, if that's an offer that can get accepted, is a, is a very good deal. And I would co-sign that in, in a heartbeat. So I, I'm interested in Ramsey, too. Obviously, not the slam dunk that Minka was because of the cost, because of the age and the contract and, and, and all that stuff. But definitely interesting for the Eagles moving forward. They would have to deal with uh, move, dealing with the books. I've, I've heard Dallas being brought up. I don't know if they would want that big contract on the on the table for them I either. Like, I mean, I would love to see Byron Jones and Jalen Ramsey play next to each other for a ridiculous. game just for the... Uh, you would never have to even call a defense. Chris Richard could literally take the day off. But yeah, I don't, I'm not sure that'll happen. You see the Deshaun Jackson news? I was going to say, let's get to the Eagles news because John yeah, Clark yeah, yeah. of uh, NBC Sports is reporting that, quote, Eagles could be without Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey for the next two games. Djax has an abdominal strain and, and is expected to miss two weeks, according to Tim McManus. And then also Rap Sheet is reporting that Alshon Jeffrey has a calf strain and next two games is in doubt for him so that is a big time hit and like this film study that we did or quote unquote broadcast film copy study that we did showed the issues that the eagles had with not having their guys in there obviously it's a little bit different when you have all week to plan for that as opposed to learning that they'll be out but that's still a big hit that's your one and two wide receiver being out for probably two games that's an issue for the Eagles, how do you th- how do you feel about that impact there? Because I don't feel I don't feel great about it at all. To be honest with you, I don't think anybody should. That was the field stretcher, man. 
I yeah. mean, that right, that's what it was. That was the the whole like Eagles haven't had a player like Deshaun since Deshaun. He was a spark in week one. Right. The thir- the fact that the Packers are on Thursday night absolutely blows, right? Mm. I mean, what a hit that is. And man, you don't want to start two and two, and you definitely don't want to drop one to a potential NFC playoff team in the Packers. Right. Um, you know, that's that's an annoying timing for that matchup. Obviously not trying to overlook the lines, just kind of projecting the next two years, or excuse me, the next two weeks moving forward. So it's Deshaun. Very likely out for two weeks. Alshon Dallas, I don't think you're going to get both back. I think you're going to get at least one who's probably going to be out for that time frame as well. I think if any of them, Dallas, who's been kind of struggling with that calf issue since preseason, I think you might get him back before the other ones out of those. Right. And we don't know the extent of what happened to Alshon in the thing Uh, because it was pregame and God knows what happened to the Eagles pregame against Atlanta, but something did. Yeah. It's now huge for Aguilar. Mm. And, and Zach Ertz was going to be a big part of the offense, but obviously Ertz, for there being no Goddard, matters a great deal, especially in the running game. The player that I was, and I voiced this on Monday, was I was disappointed in J.J. Ortega-Whiteside's presence in week two. Well, now you have a week to prepare. Uh, it'll be more clear whether he's an inside slot, quasi-tight end, helping to block H-back motion, nasty alignment guy, sniffer, or if yeah. he's... Alshon Jeffrey replacement guy, which she's going to be. There's going to be a whole week to game plan for that, prepare for that. Mm-hmm. But our thing of Whiteside needs to be able to win one-on-one matchups. Mm-hmm. Needs to be able to. He is not a burner. He is not super elusive. We've talked about how he runs good routes. That helps him win his one-on-one matchups, but he wins with leverage, strength, and size. He has to be able to win and create throwing windows. Carson Wentz has no reason to trust him right now. Why? They've played two games together, and he's thrown the ball to him four times. There's no, there's no chemistry there. Our thing of Whiteside needs to start winning quickly. For the Eagles, if they're going to survive this time period without receiving options. And as you very well know, Mike, if we want to transition into talking about uh, the, the Eagles offense against the Falcons defense, I mean, the passing concepts, once Alshon and Jeffrey were gone, <laughs> they ran four concepts. It was very simple. And look, and, and that's the first thing that we need to address. And it ties in nicely with what we've been saying. Wow, we're so good at this. Okay, On the good. offensive side of the ball, this game in no way against the Falcons is what the Eagles want to be offensively. Alshon, Deshaun, Goddard being out not only impacted the 11 personnel, but the 12 personnel packages as well, as they literally couldn't run 12. But has it impacted the 12 personnel? Yeah. What 12 personnel? Well, Doug Peterson talked in his presser on Monday talking about you know all the areas on his play call sheet that had to be scratched out and even said that 12 personnel and play action off 12 was going to be a big facet of the game plan. That hurts a lot, and it shows up in the numbers. The Eagles went from 12 play-action passes from week one to just three in week two, and three of those weren't under center with longer developing route concepts. They were all from shotgun. And speaking of shotgun, only four under center snaps all game. Three of them were in short-yarded situations, a couple on sneaks. And yeah, this is primarily a shotgun team. 80% of their snaps last year came from shotgun, but the inability to mix it up and dial up shot plays hurt them along with not having the guys that you'd want executing those shot plays. So there's not a lot to go of here from a personnel and scheme perspective from watching the game again with the Falcons. What are the Eagles going to be able to learn from this game with Deshaun and Alshon out and then translate it into next week? I think it's going to be better. I think they're going to have a better game plan coming into it rather than just scratching a bunch of stuff out and kind of freelancing it and drawing it up in the dirt. And let's say, let's do all of this basic stuff like it was basically they they boiled it down to like the josh mccown playbook when he was here for like three days that's what it looked like to me or, or am i wrong right i agree with that in a big way what i think i think a good way of characterizing this is like from like a front side backside perspective in the sense that a lot of the eagles concepts are
are are written up such that at the at the snap you have a front side and a backside read, right? And so on the front side, which is typically the three man route side, right? You're gonna have some sort of three man concept. You're gonna have snag. You're gonna have spy. You're gonna have smash. Divide whatever you want. And here, what the Eagles love to do is they tag a lot of these routes. So Zach Ertz is running, you know, the post, but it can turn into an over route versus middle of the field open, and it can turn into a, a corner post versus single high, and it can turn into a, a hitch route versus an alert blitz, right? So there's just like four options off this route for Zach Ertz to run, and he's just going to make the defense wrong. And yeah. they love to work off of these frontside concepts that have these option routes attached to them. Well, guess what? When you start lining up different players in different spots because of injury, it's not nearly as easy to run those option routes and those those constantly marry with each other because you have players in different positions running different ideas, not knowing where to break off routes. And they don't even, some of them didn't even know where to line up. There were plays where like Zach Ertz is signaling traffic and telling Mac Collins where to go. Do you think Mac Mac did not know where to line up right. on several plays, which exactly. is kind of irritating because Mac, <laughs> what were you doing last year when you couldn't play? But anyway yeah. So that's front side. And then backside, what you typically have is just ideas that are alerts. Ideas that are just, all right, if we get this, then let's shoot with that. In the sense of like, all right, and we're just going to run stab to the backside. Stab is the Eagles slot fade concept. Outside mm-hmm. receiver runs a one-step hitch, slot, you know, a uh, 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 one yard forward, and then, you know, run a nine route to the sideline. Obviously, you have more space now to running out of the slot. So that's the stab on the backside. Or the Eagles might run just hitches on the backside, just you know, eight step, twelve step hitch. Yeah, might, might just run smash on the backside again. Three step hitch from the outside receiver, and then a corner route from the inside receiver. Just basic concepts where, all right, and if we get cover two, if we get split field safety, if you alert a blitz, we're just gonna take it. You know, you you can take this to this side. That backside that typically serves as an alert was where Carson lived, in my opinion, in the second half. Yeah. It was simply, this is our basic stuff, because you can you can interchange front these frontside and backside concepts, right? And so these backside concepts are probably a lot more familiar to the players who were lined up there. Carson knew he was going to have it consistently. He didn't have to worry about option routes breaking off the incorrect way, his read of the defense being different than the receiver's read of the defense, not really understanding just how Matt Collins and Arthur Whiteside were going to break off certain routes. Nelson Aguilar filling the Deshaun Jackson roll just how he was going to run a 15 yard out the time he's going to be off I mean Carson missed so many routes outside of players into the sideline and a lot of that's timing Mm -hmm. that's timing. that's that that's not great quarterback play but it's also not great wide receiver play and some of it's unavoidable these backside concepts are a little bit more common frequent measured predictable and accordingly you know there was not a lot of yak generated there weren't many explosive plays so much first and 10 stuff that just I wish I'll pick up six yards you there I think I tagged three separate first down plays that were just like pirate. Yep. Where it's just like the Eagles just like, listen, get five yards down the field, open up to the side that the defense is not on. Hmm. You know, Matt Collins for eight yards, Deshaun Jackson or uh Zachary's for seven yards, Matt Collins for four yards. And just let's 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 get some positive yards to put ourselves in manageable down situations. And then as they did all night long, ask Carson to just hero ball on late downs and and Carson very much did. Yeah, and look at look at what it also did to the running game, not being able to run 12 personnel. In week one from 12, they had five yards per carry with a 60% success rate. On first and 10 in this game against the Falcons, they had one successful run out of seven. They averaged two yards per carry in those situations. They were behind the sticks literally all day. So there's no there's no help there. It's weird because the running game didn't really change. You could yeah, you couldn't use 12, but the running game didn't really change. They just couldn't execute. So there was zero help from the run game in this game and Jordan Howard, you know, is who he is. 
and Miles Sanders right now, and I think people are starting to realize our side of the argument on this when it comes to the, the development that he's going to need is what he is right now. And that's an undisciplined space player. And then you also right. look at one of the matchups that really killed us in this game with Isaac Siamalo. Like, what happens with a replacement level starter at left guard like Isaac Siamalo when he goes toe-to-toe with an elite defensive tackle like Grady Jarrett? Because he had trouble with Jarrett's processing speed before the snap, just jumping things at the snap, the explosiveness out of his first step, couldn't counter him, couldn't hold up. Sayamalo. Sayamalo. Sayamalo? You're out of practice. Sayamalo. Sayamalo. Now I'm not sure if that's right. God dang it! Okay, I gotta look this back up. Sorry, go ahead. 77th out of 77 guards created by PFF in week two. 25.2 overall grade. That might not be good. Two sacks given up, six hurries, eight pressures? Yeah. Just up. Okay, so it's it's definitely Sayamalo. I looked it up and I made sure. I still don't understand how you said it differently than from what I said it. I think I said it correctly the entire time. Sayamalo. Yeah, say, what, say what do you say? You say Amala. That's say what Amala. you say. All right. <laughs> Firstly, Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox, Chris Jones, mm-hmm. Brady Jarrett, mm-hmm. Kenny Clark, right. Geno Atkins. Rank them. Yeah, those are your Rank top. Rank them. I mean, just like, why? kill me. I, Aaron, it goes Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox, and then the rest are like, and then a right mess. there on the seals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, just like a mess. Grady Jarrett's Amazing. ability to get... Up to, to so flow is coming towards Grady Jarrett for his ability to get to cross face against it and then get upfield before he gets caught to it is incredible, un- unbelievable, godly. <laughs> it's just it's it's really unbelievable. It's special, Jarrett. Yeah, so Jarrett just I mean almost single handedly for the, the the Falcons defense where a lot of players I I don't think Keanu Neal played that good. Um, I don't I don't know if Keanu Neal's maybe not fully back or whatnot. I thought Neal was a step slower than he usually is. The Deion Jones, Grady Jarrett played out of their minds. Everybody else was pretty what they've been. Tack McKinley's a pretty good player. But Jarrett and Jones alone almost beat the Eagles offense single handedly, especially yeah, when things became very predictable and very white bread. Mm-hmm. And the Eagles by virtue of, you know, maybe perhaps the inability to run play action and, and the lack of 12 personnel just left Sam Mullen on an island. I mean, yeah. we're in the, the fourth quarter in a, in, a, in a one possession game. Everybody knows what the Eagles need to do. And it's just Grady Jarrett sitting in the B gap right on top of Isaac Sam Mullen. And there is no six man protection. There was no slide. There was, I mean, it's Jason Kelsey helping if he can, but they were peppering the A gap trying to stick guys right in Kelsey's face to, to give Jared Hold that them. extra half second to beat out Sayamalu. Mm-hmm. You saw this, there was a, a second down. Uh, it was the it was the incomplete Nelson Aguilar touchdown mm-hmm. where they just stuck a player in the A-gap right in front of Jason Kelsey just to hold him for a half second. And then Jared just slinks right by Isaac Sayamalu in a heartbeat. Yep. Carson gets off a beautiful ball, obviously. But this is what it was for much of the second half was the Falcons just finding ways to ensure they got Jarrett one-on-one against Sam Malu, and there was no way that the Eagles could really help. I got a lot of questions about Sam Malu on Twitter over the past couple of days. Me too. And this is where it comes back to where, like, I just simply, I don't have the film, the All-22 for four quarters, and it's just really hard to evaluate offensive linemen accordingly. And that's the thing. Like, I'm, uh, you know, when I have it, I'll let you know. Yeah, I mean, you see the ugly plays where he got the three flags and he gets beat right. clean, but, like, other than that, just, like, is he getting displacement? Like, it's hard to tell right. in that in that tackle box when you don't have that end zone view. And it's, it's also, like, I, I can tell you, like, you know, when he got flags, what happened, but it's hard to tell you why he's getting consistently beat unless I get you're able to get the angle hmm. where you can, you know, see what's happening with his feet and see what's happening with his, with his body positioning and his weight and see how Jarrett's coming at him so on and so forth my answer on Sam Malu remains generally unchanged which like I would say like 
do not don't expect crucify to beat a guy <laughs> from Jarrett. losing a lot to Grady Jarrett. Right, right like that's right. number one. That's like you know the, the college thing with Quinn and Williams. Like right. every prospect that came up against Quinn and Williams lost against Quinn and Williams for the most part. Maybe it was just what you do. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? Yeah. So I do think that there's that aspect to it. Mm. Sam Malo is the worst player on a really good line. Right. And as I've said before, it makes it hard to exactly tell what he is in a vacuum. But I what I can say is that Philadelphia needs to be more. Uh, uh, like when Viathai was in for the 2017 Super Bowl run, needs to be more cognizant of his weak point and willing to send help his way. You don't need Jason Kelsey and Brandon Brooks on a double team when Isaac Samalo is is one on one against somebody. You know what I mean? Like you, you have to be able to find ways to align your backs such that you're chipping to the the right sides. So you can send Kelsey to the left side. And you can help protect Sam Malo. And I think once you're there and you're doing that with consistency and you're also being able to mix that up and stay unpredictable, which is a hard ask, but the Eagles have done it before and they've got a good offensive line coach in Jeff Stoutland, then you're going to be fine. But Sam Malo against top flight rushers such as Grady Jarrett just simply does not match up well in pass protection one-on-one. I thought he had a really good week one game against a good interior with Washington. So a little bit up and down from, from Sam Malo. We'll see. We'll see. We'll track his Jared's, progress. Jarrett's a different cat. Jarrett's I mean, yeah, totally different. We talked about it before the show. He's he's fantastic. He's incredible. So, right. uh, Ben, have you been getting before we go to break here and talk about the defense? Have you been getting a lot of the of the penalty talk? The supposed block on the back on the fifty four yard screen or no? I mean, I, I was I was asked in the immediate wake about uh, illegal man downfield. I didn't respond to that. It was within a yard. It was fine. Yeah, and also like. It's a legal man downfield. It's never ever happened. If you want it called for the Falcons there, and I thought I, when I right. free the entire me, he's Eagles twenty seventeen Super Bowl should be redacted <laughs> if we get a ticky tack illegal man downfield. Yeah, because that's you know Jason Kelsey was eight yards down the field blocking people on pass plays. <laughs> what he did, you're not going to hear me blaming refs for ticky tack stuff. So there's that, and then the other one, right, the, the 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 illegal block in the back one. I saw that you got it. I did not get it, and I'm glad. That no one did. It makes me happy. If you if you think that play that that little touch on the back affected any Russell was taking himself out of that play, his chances went from zero percent to zero percent. So I mean, and just to recalibrate here, if you're not a longtime listener of the show here, I'm probably the last guy that's going to blame anything on the refs. There are two plays that stick out from my mind in the last last season and two games: the clear recovery against Dallas and the Dallas Goddard offensive pi in the same game. Those are the only two plays you'll hear me complain about when it comes to the refs. Everything else. If you're going to say let them play, then let them play and don't ask for every single call. You're talking about the uh, Dallas Goddard offensive pass interference that would have increased both his rookie year yards and touchdowns by 20%. 75-yard touchdown. He got contacted in the head twice and got called for a penalty. It was, it was crazy. Anyway, when we come back here on the Kiss and Solak show, we're going to flip side to the defensive side of the ball. That's coming up next right after this. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity – But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year 
at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back on the Kissed and Solak Show, episode 120. We're breaking down the coaches film, kind of, of the Eagles' week two loss to the Atlanta Falcons. Obviously had some issues with game pass, but we still have some takeaways. We're going to switch to the defensive side of the ball. And look, obviously the talk of the town has been Jim Schwartz's blitzing in this oh, game. Oh, yeah. The cuffs are off Jimbo. <laughs> so he got ultra aggressive, which for him means blitzing 30% of the time, which is like league average. But the man was not afraid to get after it, you know, out of his comfort zone. Probably saw what Minnesota did in the previous week. And remember, I talked about his tendency to blitz certain looks and situations against Atlanta in the past. And until that last play, that 54 yard at Julio, which we talked about in depth on the recap show, that, that was way too obvious and poorly schemed up. But before that, the blitz was bumping. And the one that I really want to touch on if you can turn your books to fourth quarter, 1220 remaining. I love our turn your books bit. I think it's really <laughs> funny. How much remaining? 1220. Okay. Third and nine. The Eagles are showing zero blitz, right? And Or as we keep referring to it as, as cover zero. But what they do is they don't bring six, right? They drop both Brandon Graham to the, on the left side towards the trip side. Right. And they drop Derek Barnett where it's Rasul isoed up with Julio. Barnett is dropping into an area near the sticks where the Falcons love to run that in-breaking dig route to Julio when he's on the backside there. And that's where Ryan is kind of looking at first. And it was actually an out from Julio because he's running this thing at 12 yards. But because it's at 12 yards, Ryan doesn't have the time. Ito Smith has already whiffed. He thinks he has to pick up Jenkins. Sendejo, who comes in late, which is what I really liked about this disguise, because you think you're getting man coverage against that trips formation with Sendejo as part of those three. Instead, they right. drop Graham. They send Sendejo late. He comes flying through for the sack. So that's what I'm talking about when I say that. And I, and I hate that. And this goes back to like last year before the Jags game where he mixed it up in that one. But Schwartz can get real stagnant in those looks and not bring flavor that forces the quarterback flavor. to just think for half a second after the snap. And in this case... He threw in that little post-snap wrinkle that confused the protection, got there with five when, when he – something like that. You sometimes have to bring more to get somebody unblocked, and it didn't give Ryan enough time to work through the longer developing routes or scan back to the other side. Similar deal, you turn your books to first quarter – 536. Yep, yep. You like it? Yeah, they bring heat. That's what I thought I was going to bring up this play. I was going to bring up this play after you were done talking, but yeah. Yeah, so they throw in an underneath zone to the backside where Julio is and force Ryan to make a quick, accurate throw. So while Schwartz is going to get heat for his game plan, and deservedly so on the 54-yard touchdown, it can't all be painted with the same brush because I did like a lot of the elements of what he did in pressuring right. Ryan while also helping out with Julio in those cases. Like, And not that it's going to make anyone, including myself, feel any better about putting one across the plate at the end of the game, but I thought this was a really good game plan overall from Schwartz. Right. It was what it was was different. And just yeah. that alone was, was nice to see. Yeah. And this, so this being the, the I sit here and I say, you know, the deep safety. And, you know, where's the deep safety? And he was one on one. Your corners are on the island. There's no deep safety. Well, the thing about playing with no deep safety, Mike, you got an extra play at rush quarterback, don't you? Right. Yep. And you're still able to play. And like you said, these are two circumstances where the Eagles had potential rushers, whether it was linebackers, whether it was edges, uh, whether it was green dog sort of players drop into underneath zones to help uh, conflate those those throwing lanes that you want to get to quickly after the blitz. I'm reminded of the near uh, interception 
for Fletcher mm. Cox, which, man, I wish we could have seen it. would have been a lot of fun. Um, but if you turn your book, <laughs> second great. quarter, 8.30, it's mm. second at six at the Atlanta 40. God, In this case... Is. Right, Philadelphia is showing a five-man front. They have a nickelback flexed over the tight end. Uh, they send four, but they collapse inside the interior of the defensive line, and they let Fletcher Cox drop back into coverage. What 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 what's happening here is Fletcher Cox is simply reading the eyes of Matt Ryan, recognizing that as this four-man rush is coming, he's going to stem off to the side to which Ryan is looking. Yeah. And he very quickly gets himself into a throwing lane that seemed wide open because of the concept that the Falcons were running. And so there's some really nice film study and design behind these blitzes, responding to how the Falcons wanted to get rid of the ball quickly in the short areas from these tight formations. The other one that I want to bring up, which is outside of the purview of what we're talking about, but what I think is critically important for the Eagles <laughs> is... Second and 10, incomplete to Ito Smith. That's 10-20 in the first quarter. The, the, the Falcons come out, and they like I said, uh, it's incomplete to Ito Smith. So we know they have a running back on the field. They also have a tight end on the field. This is 11 personnel, and they come out and empty. And we talk about this a lot. Personnel and formations aren't the same thing. 11 personnel, you're very unlikely to see an empty formation out of 11 personnel because you're putting a running back and a, and a tight end both out wide. But that's what Atlanta chooses to do here. In response, and you only really mm. see the end of this as the camera gets to it, the Eagles check into pure man coverage with a six-man look. And this is, from what I've been taught, this is called double banjo. This is a double banjo look where the Eagles have two defensive tackles in the A-gaps, two edges in the C-gaps, and then two linebackers sugaring the B-gaps against this empty sort of a look. So two stand-up rushers in the B-gaps. And then... You'll see Malcolm Jenkins and Ronnie McLeod tapping their heads as they get into coverage. This is an audible top hat, hat on hat, whatever you want to call it. It's man-to-man coverage, and they're not trying to hide it. We've got five defensive backs. You've got five guys flexed out wide. We have one over each one. Yep. There's no secret to what we're doing here. And as I said with the Rasul Douglas touchdown, which is a very similar look to this one, there's no secret to what's happening here. (laughs) And Matt Ryan was able to get to a check and throw a 54-yard touchdown to Julio Jones. But in this case, the Eagles are the ones who check against empty. They give that six-man look. It's five on five. And then there's only five guys blocking. And so someone's going to come uncovered. In this case, it's the edge off the right-hand side, Brandon Graham. The tackle chooses to step inside on the full slide protection. And that's that's what the you're taught to do is the offensive line. Send one of the outside guys, and the quarterback's going to read him and go hot off of him. Once that happens, the Eagles' banjo players, those linebackers in the B-gaps, disengage and step back and look to go get their hands up they're not trying to get to the quarterback they knew that this six-man look this five-man over five receivers is going to be man coverage they know the ball is going to come out hot from Matt Ryan in this circumstance so take your two three steps to force the the Falcons to set protection get your free rusher coming off the right side and once you know you got your free rusher jump get your hands up obstruct throwing lanes incomplete pass it's Ronald Darby on a running back yeah. It's a great advantage situation for the Eagles. They have to throw hot Ronald Darby against a running back. So this is a situation where this is not a blitz scripted for a down, scripted for a distance against a certain look. The Eagles got to check into this blitz against 11 personnel empty. So it was established in the game plan, but the, the purview was over Jenkins and the defense calling it on the field, execute to perfection, third and 16. That's a huge win for the defense. You got to play six defense, make a tackle, and force a field goal attempt. So that is... 
blitz stood out to me as an example of where this was not even a called blitz from the sideline. This is something the Eagles were able to check into defensively, bring pressure with six. It's more of a, it's not a fully simulated pressure, but bring pressure with six, force the ball to come out quick, rally to the catch point, rally into the passing lane, disrupt and make a tackle. I, I love that one. Engage, occupy, then bail out, get in a passing lane, get your hands up and try to make something work there. So there, there were definitely parts that you could take away from this game plan from Schwartz that you can really like. He's just a really frustrating coach overall, and you can criticize other things, obviously, you know, corners being off and all that stuff. But you want to get to maybe some uh, some studs and some duds, maybe maybe some good players, bad players. Just quick thoughts on uh, some guys. I have one other thing I'd like. I have a take for the second week in a row. It's a Derek Barnett take. Ooh, you got to slam the table and then you may start your take. I have a take. You're on the clock. Everything I said about Derek Barnett was a lie. <laughs> I was fooled. We have been hoodwinked, bamboozled, run amok, led astray, and flat out deceived. (laughs) Barnett played against the run badly. Yeah. Worse than I can remember. Odd for him. What was happening? I don't know. And he's usually good. He gets gassed a little bit. People are like, oh, he's amazing. He's usually good. Taking false steps against zone flow? Yeah. Retreating? Crashing falling down into into flow away, eating up misdirection, giving up contain. And pass rushes, and I think some of them might have been designed, some of them may not have been. I, I can't speak to what exactly it looked like. But rush lane integrity, out the window. Hmm. The near Calvin Ridley second down touchdown. It doesn't look like a designed stunt to me at all. But Derek Barnett <laughs> leaves the C gap and goes into the opposite A gap. Well, guess where Matt Ryan goes when pressure comes? C gap. <laughs> the wide open right side of the pocket. There's no yeah. one there. Rush lane integrity. I mean, Schwartz talks about that all the time. And that would be the most obvious place for Ryan to escape most of the time. He want, Schwartz He's a right-handed about, quarterback. Right, exactly. So that would be the place you want to keep. Just perplexed. But I thought it was a very odd game from Derek Barnett. And I guess this transitions us into studs and duds. Um, but I, 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 I would just like to make it clear that Derek Barnett, listener to the podcast, is clearly more oriented on making me wrong than he is on playing well. Because when I didn't think he was going to be good, he started playing well. And then I said he was playing well. And now he got it back in. Yeah. Very confusing. Um, I agree. All I know is that in terms of pass rush wins against Jake Matthews, Josh Sweat had more than Derek Barnett. But that's a different conversation. Yeah, Josh Sweat would actually be a stud for me. He showed a great pass rush. Nearly got a yeah, first dang out. straight, boy. <laughs> looked Joshua. Good against, yeah, looked good against the run, too. Uh, I'll go with I'll go with the dud, man. Because I, I really think that for the second week in a row, Nigel Bradham put up another stinker and that makes three in a row going back to the Saints game last year on the heels of a wonderful performance for him against the Bears they are getting some really poor linebacker play in my opinion I mean when the best you're getting from a performance perspective is like Nate Gary and and we're going to talk about it but expect a good deal of Gary next week because the Lions have been running something other than 11 personnel around 40 percent of the time and that's when the Eagles have shown that they will go with three linebackers in their base package so we'll see if he can hold up And hopefully we can get some better play from Bradham and Zach Brown because the film that you're wanting to point to is not this for either of them. So that's unfortunate for them. If I can go with a stud real quick, man. And look, this is an entirely different situation. But from Darby looking bad on his ACL, maybe not fully recovered, even though Jim Schwartz says he is, to Brandon Brooks being the best player on that line on Sunday night, his recovery has been an absolute miracle. And the run game struggles have nothing to do with him. For the run game to succeed, you need all pieces hitting their marks and making it work. Brandon Brooks has been hitting his part. So he has showed quite well for himself in that area. Nate Gary was so bad against 
Yes, the Falcons, man. But it was like, honestly, was it that much worse than Radom or Brown? They were yes. great. Really? You think oh, so? Okay. First quarter, <laughs> six thirteen. First and 10 from the one. Play action fake. Six. You know the play I'm talking about? I think I do. Just watch, just take it in slow motion, just like, you know, uh, scrub with your with your, with your your mouse, okay. and watch Nate Gary's reaction time to play action, oh, and then reaction to the route concept relative to the rest of the defense. Okay, so... I'll post a screenshot of Nate Gary just running the entire opposite direction as everybody. I firmly do not believe that sinking underneath this <laughs> curl route is his responsibility. I don't. I don't. It doesn't just make sense. Do it on a loop of him in slow motion of him like jogging in place while everyone is taking their zone read step and then darting forward after it's very clear that he it's- starts closing on play action <laughs> when Bradham and Brown start gaining depth after they realize it's play action. He reads it a legit two seconds slower than them. That's absurd. Okay, so this I, is my I, favorite play I've ever seen in my entire life. That's incredible. <laughs> Yes, so Nate Gary was that, that's my case so, in point for Nate Gary being worse than Nigel Bradham and Zach Brown. That's fair. Um, I can see the point, good sir. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, big stud to Brandon Brooks. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, successfully returning from injury. I questioned where Rodney McLeod was in Washington in week one. Stud for Rodney McLeod in week two. Thought it was a much more significant presence from the uh the deep middle area of the field. Now, the Julio Jones third and long conversion. He had an angle on that play and he didn't take it. Yeah. And I'm not like, I, I would want to go back and watch pre injury McLeod's. McLeod's not the biggest dude. Uh, before I were to say, like, he might be skittish around contact now that he's back from injury. But I was surprised to see him not go up and contest that football. Mm. Uh, and so I, maybe I'm, I'm just mi- misremembering how McLeod was before the injury. But you want to see your deep middle safety on deep, yeah, on, on, on deep long passes outside the numbers. Come up and put a hit on a fella. Ask Monty Nicholson and Dallas Goddard. That was a caught ball. I thought he had a hit earlier in the game, though. I, I just the, think the, this the is a Julio weird one angle. across the middle. Yeah, yeah, the Julio one across the middle was, and and he went up to go get that ball. Recognized mm. that Julio was going to get, uh, was going to catch it in front of him. He had no play on the ball and put a good strike on Julio's shoulder and was yeah. able to help dislodge that ball. It's exactly what you want to see. Yeah, right. He would have had to play through Sidney Jones. So it's just it's a play that you'd like your deep middle safety to make. He doesn't have to make it. I thought that there was room for that contact. It's just something to keep an eye on with McLeod, in my opinion, True. in terms of how willing he is to be super physical. But again, I think you saw the Eagles do a lot what they did with him early last year, where they liked getting him in and into little rats and into little robbers, letting him squat upfield a little more. And that's the sort of play that you saw him make against Julio on that pass breakup on that third down that you were talking about. And so yeah. uh, McLeod is a stud for me, working his way back. Got to keep an eye on him, but... Eagles uh, had no impact plays from the deep middle of the field when he was gone. They were a little lacking for it in uh, the first week of the season. I thought that McLeod did a better job here in week two against Atlanta. So Brandon Graham is another stud for me. Four hurries, two run stops, just remains one of the best at keying on what the offense is trying to do before the snap, much like we talk about with Grady Jarrett. I thought Rasul Douglas outside of the missed tackle and then Sidney Jones as well. I thought both of them played well in Sidney Jones. He played tough, dude, and he nearly knocked himself out on Austin Hooper. I thought he was temporarily dead, needed to be checked for a concussion afterward, but, like, scrappy dude, I thought he played well. Uh, not, like, blow your mind really good, but I thought Sewell and Sydney, especially compared to the night that Darby had, had a much yeah. better night for themselves. The Eagles are still stuck in a place where, where occasionally to intermittently to semi-frequently, whatever adverb you want to use, Rasul and Sydney play well enough where you go, okay, well, we got to see what they they are right we're coming into year three of both of them mm-hmm. so we need to know 
but they have reps and games where you're like, Eagles don't need to draft corners. You need to keep continue developing these guys, right? Yeah. yeah. That being said, trade for Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> stud. 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 I'm just going to put on my, I freaking told you, cap. One Hassan Ridgeway, brother. Great game. Great game by him, man. Oh, dude. The penetration ability. The first step. That's all I need. Yeah, 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 yeah. player, good he, player. And he's he's got he's got to start next to Fletcher Cox, and that's not going to go well, right? He's, he's there's a reason the Colts traded him for a day three pick. It's because he's not that good of a player, and he's 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 going to be a starter for the Eagles, and that's not going to be great. Speaking of which, Keem Spence not good, but it's okay. He just got back. Yeah, but what Ridgeway is going to be able to give you is an immediate penetration presence against both the run and the pass, which is Timmy and, Jernigan's deal. And they're going to be missing him for a bit, right? And I thought, I thought, I think Jernigan's probably a lot, a lot stouter in the gap against the run. I think Jernigan probably brings more power, better hand usage. But there's a reason Hassan's behind him on the depth chart. But yeah. a lot of the reasons you like Jernigan is a lot of the reasons I like Ridgeway. Yeah, 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 right. And the thing is, like, I, I, Ridgeway, what, what he brings for, in terms of like that blue chip trade that he has is get off, and that's really all he's going to need. Because here's the thing: if you get good get off from the three tech, if you get good get off from the one tech, and they're sliding towards Cox, which they want to do. Mm-hmm. They Falcons did it. Everyone's done it. All you got to do is move that quarterback off his spot. All That's you got to do is penetrate enough to get him off his spot. And all of a sudden, Brandon Graham's got an inside rush lane. Fletcher Cox has got a new rush lane. That's where Hassan Ridgeway is going to be able to provide value to the Eagles. going to be the first guy collapsing the pocket. We talk about challenging pocket depth and disrupting pocket integrity. Force the quarterback to potentially drop his eyes, reset his feet. He's now not on a throwing platform, unless he's Patrick Mahomes. He's now not on a throwing platform. And now offensive linemen who are blocking Fletcher Cox, who are blocking Brandon Graham, who are blocking Derek Barnett, think the quarterback is at spot X, and actually he's at spot X two yards to the left. Hmm. And that's huge for rushers who can see where that quarterback is. So Ridgeway, while he's by no means a perfect player, has the penetration ability to help out his teammates. So holding that starting job and being a, a positive, like you know, a, po- a net positive player, especially on long and late downs. He's going to be there. He, he, he's going to be that. That was a great game for Son Ridge. I'm really, really happy to see that. That's big because, you know, it's it's uh, Timmy Jernigan and Malik Jackson are both injured long term. <laughs> it's getting thin in some places. So that's going to do it for our coaches film slash broadcast copy review of the Eagles week two loss to the Falcons. We'll be moving on to our two previews of the game with the Detroit Lions coming up next. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Also listen in to BGN Radio where they'll be talking about BLG and Jimmy Kemsky. Of course, we'll be talking about the previous game with the Falcons and the upcoming game with the Lions and making their NFL picks. So look forward to all that. Uh, Ben, any last words for the gentle listeners? Did Jake Elliott hit any field goals? Yeah, he hit two, right? Jay Kelly missed no field goal. Suck it. <laughs> I always say, have to the, mention Jay Kelly at least once in a recap leader, show. Leader of the yeah, fan club. He did. Stop. He did. The Eagles had six points at halftime, so he definitely did. Put him Go in Jake Elliott. Told you. Say goodbye. Jake man. Elliott will never lose. Ben, say goodbye. Don't you care? I was just I'm gonna stand here and talk about Jake Elliott, and you can't stop me. I'm in charge of my own recording. It's just gonna go forever. <laughs> Thank you as always for listening to the Kist and Solak show here on Bleeding Green Nation. We do appreciate you swinging by. This was the all eight <laughs> recap show. How, how many can you see? About all twenty? Right. And then when the play starts, about all eighteen, all sixteen? Right. Uh, this was the uh we had about, you know. 25% of the uh, the the game, the plays actually had all 22 films. This was the all 22 divided by 4. 5.5. 5. 
uh, review show. We do appreciate you swinging by. If anything happens in terms of more film availability and interesting things off of that film availability, we will be sure to send that your way. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K at NFL. That's K-I-S-T to see all of those reps and then revel in all that good Eagles content. The birds are one and one. We are on to Detroit week three, already a bit depleted into the young season, but don't worry. BGN Radio is at full force, and we'll be preparing you for that game with our offensive and defensive preview shows from the Kiss and Solak show, and of course, the big fat Mama Jabba preview show from BGN Radio with Brandon Lee Gowan, Mickey Forever Rain, and Jimmy Kemsky, the new guy. Babes on Broad, of course, Sam Wilson, Jessica Town, also our new show on the network. Excited for them as well to release their preview show. You can't get better Eagles content Thanks. than this. Thanks so much for listening. We all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Uh-huh.